Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon podcast from the First United Methodist Church of Parable. Today we continue to read from First and Second Timothy. We'll do this for a few more weeks, and of course it'll be uh, it'll be the holiday season before long. But today we'll read with Second Timothy two eight through nineteen. Uh, the scriptures are going to be on the screen as well as in that order of worship you received on the way in. Hey guys, yeah, there you go. Thank you. All right, we'll begin with Second Timothy two eight through nineteen, and then we'll take a brief uh, a brief look at the Gospel of Luke as well. Hear these words of Scripture. Remember Jesus Christ. Raised from the dead, a descendant of David, that is my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but the word of God is not chained. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, so that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is sure, if we have died with him, we will also live with him, if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of this and warn them before God that they are to avoid wrangling over words, which does no good, but only ruins those who are listening. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved by him, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly explaining the word of truth. Avoid profane chatter, for it will lead people into more and more impiety. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth by claiming that the res- resurrection has already taken place. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this inscription, The Lord knows those who are His. Let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord turn away from wickedness. And from Luke seventeen eleven through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet, and he thanked him. He was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not ten made clean, but the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And so Jesus said to him, get up, go on your way. Your faith has made you well. May God bless our reading of the Holy Scriptures and let us say together, Amen. Amen. Would you join me in a spirit of prayer? Holy God, we gather today with thanksgiving in our hearts. We give thanks for the opportunity to be together in fellowship and conversation. We give thanks for the chance to share in the celebration of worship as we sing and have our hearts lifted up and knit together. We give thanks for the time together in study and formation We give thanks for the Holy Scriptures that are still alive with your presence and power even today. God, as we worship today, as we do so with grateful hearts, we ask that you would speak through all of these acts of worship, that you would speak to us through song and fellowship, that you would speak to us through the Scriptures, that you would speak perhaps through my words, 
so these your people would be shaped according to your will once again. These things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We continue to read from First and Second Timothy as we have the last few weeks, and we will for a couple of more weeks, uh, not doing a, a true Bible study, but trying to unpack some of what Paul is saying to Timothy here in these letters. And we've kind of framed this in the sense that Paul's later in his life, later in his ministry, he's writing to a younger Timothy, encouraging him and offering him some guidance and some wisdom. And that's certainly what we find in today's reading. As we think about today's reading, I want to offer you kind of a broader framework to begin with, and it goes something like this. Multiple things can be true at the same time. Multiple things can be true at the same time. That's one of those hard lessons. When you're young, we kind of think about the world in binary ways, right and wrong, light and dark, good and evil, and you just need to know the one truth and cling to that, follow that, and everything will be okay. But as we get older, we realize that that's not always the case, that sometimes there are things that, are, that seem a little bit different on the surface, and yet they're still true, right? Uh, for example, in our relationships with one another, you can be disappointed and angry and frustrated with friends or family, and yet you can still love them, right? Having both frustration and love in your heart at the same time is not impossible. Amen? Amen? Yes, someone? Right? Or a more trivial example, right? Your favorite team can play really well. They can do everything they know to do, right? They can not make any mistakes, not make any errors, and yet they can still lose. Yes, amen? You know this pattern as well, right? So multiple things can be true at the same time, right? It's not necessarily a one-in-one world. It's not necessarily one thing over the other. I'll offer you that image because I think in today's reading, in today's writing from Paul, that there are There are multiple truths that Paul is trying to get across, and they sort of run together. I mean, it's kind of one lesson, but I think there's sort of three lessons within that. And so I want to unpack that with you today uh, to try to say in Dane's words what I think Paul is trying to tell Timothy. Point one, or the first lesson, this is kind of a three-point sermon. The first point that Paul is reminding Timothy is that the resurrection of Jesus is a historical fact. What do I mean by that? Well, you can see here today in that verse 8, the very first verse I read to you, the thing that Paul's, Paul tells Timothy, you might underline it or highlight it there in your bulletin. Paul tells Timothy, remember this, Jesus Christ raised from the dead a descendant of David. Now, if there's like a theme for today's reading, that's it. All right. Remember this, Jesus Christ raised from the dead a descendant of David. And so you can hear Paul kind of offering kind of a a creed, a statement of faith. Like, if you could summarize what's most important, this is it. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, a descendant of David. Now, you can imagine, we've talked in other sermon series and other lessons, you can imagine the challenges that the early church faced, particularly Paul, but others like him, including Timothy, proclaiming this absurd thing, right? Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. This is a hard thing to believe, right? That someone who had been put to death, particularly been put to death on the cross in such a brutal way, had been given his life back again. And yet Paul tells Timothy and tells us that this is the central point of of all of Christianity. This is the central point of all that we believe, that the resurrection happened. 
He adds that caveat that Jesus was a, a descendant of David in the line of David kind of as a, a way to tell us and to tell Timothy that, that Jesus wasn't a sort of disembodied spirit. Jesus wasn't a ghost or an angel. Jesus was a real man, a Jewish man from the house of David. He died and God gave him his life back again. This really happened. Paul tells Timothy and tells us, if the church knows anything at all, we might even say it about our church. If our church members know anything at all, if our children who go to Sunday school and VBS, if our teenagers who go to uh, Sunday school and Wednesday night Bible study, if they know anything at all, let it be this, that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. It really happened. Witnesses saw it and they told us and others told us and we are now telling you Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Now, many of you, of course, remember the events of the 1969 moon landing, Apollo 11. Uh, of course, I was born after 1969, so for me, these were lessons in a textbook or things we saw in movies or pictures or, or of that nature. And so for those of us who didn't see them live, or certainly for those of us who weren't there with Aldrin and Armstrong, all we have to go on is the evidence, the images, the videos, the moon rocks that have been collected and brought back to earth. And given all the evidence and given everything that we see and know, we must conclude that a couple of folks really have walked on the moon. That's a crazy idea and a crazy thought. And honestly, in my own sort of mind, if someone were to tell me that sort of in a vacuum, you would say, no way. There's no way that could happen. And yet, the evidence indicates it did, right? A couple of people actually walked on the moon. We have evidence that it happened. And still yet, despite the evidence, there are people across our country, across the world, who question whether the moon landing was real, right? Maybe it's staged, maybe it was fake, right? And they, I think, have good reason to question, like, what a crazy thought that we could fly to the moon and we could land there and walk around and then fly back, Offer that just sort of as an image of what Paul is up to here in the first century. Telling this crazy story that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. It's not an easy thing for people to believe. Not in the first century and not even now. It would be like telling someone who had never heard of the moon landing, oh yeah, we flew to the moon once, we walked around, we came back, right? It's hard to believe, it's hard to fathom. Something similar is happening here with Paul in the early church. And so he says, this is the main thing. As hard as it is to believe, as bizarre and strange as it may sound, Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. It really happened. All right, the other thing that, Jesus says, that Paul says about Jesus' resurrection. Not only was Jesus Christ raised from the dead, but the resurrection is now a new present reality for us. Resurrection is a new reality for us and for the whole world. Now that's some of what those praise songs were getting at, the one that we began with and then the one that we used there in the offertory. What Paul tells Timothy and what we read, of course, in other parts of the New Testament is that Jesus Christ's resurrection, while it was a historical event, it also changed the world forever. That God's power and God's grace, God's love and God's forgiveness, God's healing have been made available to humanity in a new way. And so what Paul tells Timothy is that, is that he and Timothy and the early church, and, and of course us too today, that we now live on this side of the resurrection. 
We live in a world where Christ has been resurrected. And because Christ has been resurrected, we live in a world marked by God's power and goodness in a remarkable way. Our lives are made part of this resurrection story of, of, God's, of God's miraculous work in Jesus' resurrection and that work being extended unto us. And just in the same way that, that Jesus Christ was, was brought back from the dead, our lives too can be resurrected in so many ways, from illness or pain or fear. That the same way that God was at work in, in Easter, God can now be at work among us. And so this is the good news that, that drives all of Paul's ministry and teaching and preaching. And so he says, right, like, I'm in chain, but the word of God is not chained. I'm suffering, but I endure because this is so important to let everyone know that the resurrection has changed reality as we know it. I was looking for an illustration to help kind of work that out with you a little bit today. This is the best one I came up with. You, of course, know that Abraham Lincoln uh, was our president during the Civil War, the most uh, trying time for our nation. Uh, and, the, and Lincoln famously is known for and is celebrated for the Emancipation Proclamation, uh, which put an end to organized slavery, that slaves were recognized as free citizens for the first time and essentially put an end to the Civil War and, and basically saved our nation as we know it today. 1863, not 19, 1863, January 1, right? This is the great work of Abraham Lincoln that we celebrate and give thanks for. But the odd part of that story is that just because Abraham Lincoln proclaimed it so there on the East Coast, that that good news wasn't fully known or fully realized across the nation for many years. Particularly in Texas, we recognize that though the Emancipation Proclamation is announced in 63, it's not until 1965, two and a half years later, that slaves are given their full freedom in Texas. And the reasons behind that have to do with Texas and its unique laws and it fighting for its own independence and own independence and lots of things going on there. But I offer you that sort of as an image for thinking about what, what Paul is doing in his ministry and his life, right? This new reality is true. Jesus Christ has been resurrected and yet not everyone yet knows it. This new thing has happened, the Emancipation Proclamation, and yet it takes years for its effects to be fully known and fully realized. So Paul tells Timothy and Paul tells us, Jesus Christ's resurrection has changed everything. And we have this wonderful task, we have this opportunity, we have the joy of sharing in this good news. This new thing has happened in the world. God has saved God's son and, and has offered that power to us and we get to tell others. The resurrection is the new reality. We exist in this new world marked by God's Easter victory. The last thing that I think Paul is saying in today's writing is that the resurrection is our future hope. What do we mean by that? Well, the resurrection happened to Jesus, a particular date and time. The resurrection changed our reality in this world, in this life, the way we experience God and understand God's work in our lives. But the resurrection is also the thing that's, that's guiding our hope for the future. That the resurrection is the thing that we look forward to with respect to our own bodies, with respect to our own life after this life. 
as I was reading there, if you were following along in the bulletin, you can see that verses 11 through 13 are sort of um, set out in a different way. Uh, we have the regular paragraphs for the first few verses and the last few verses. But then 11 through 13, if you look at your bulletin, they look more like a psalm or a proverb. And we believe that they're, they're organized in that way. We believe so because, um, because maybe they were an early hymn or an early poem. In fact, you'll see there in verse 11 that Paul says, this saying is sure, this saying, this thing that I'm about to tell you is sure. In other words, Paul's telling them like, you know this poem that we all have memorized, you know this hymn that we all have memorized, it is sure, it's true, you can remember it and believe it. And here's what he says, if we've died with him, then we will also live with him. Of course, that echoes Paul's teaching on baptism and other places. When people are baptized, when we baptize someone, we say that they are died and buried with Christ. And in their baptism, they now live with Christ. They're resurrected with Christ. If we endure with him, then we will reign with him. Here you can hear Paul offering a word of encouragement to endure, to hang on, to be strong. Endure with him and then reign with him forever. If we deny him, he will deny us. There's a few places where Jesus says something similar in Luke 12 and in Matthew 10, right? If we make a conscious choice to deny Jesus, then that will reflect our relationship with him. And then verse 13, we are faithless. If we are faithless, he is faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Again, we hear a word of encouragement there for Paul. If we are faithless, if there are times that we find it hard to believe, there are times that we find it hard to practice our faith as Paul has invited us to do so, even when we come up short, Christ will be faithful. You can trust in who God is. You can trust in who Jesus is, right? Your salvation does not rest in your own goodness, your own success or determination. Even when we are faithless, he is faithful. And then Paul goes on teaching Timothy, and he talks about uh, being the sort of worker, the sort of worker that's approved by God. And what I think Paul's doing there is he's kind of linking together two ideas. If we, if we have this confidence in, in Jesus in this next life, if we have this confidence in the resurrection, if we know that we've been buried with him and we now live with him, if those things are true, then we've been given this great freedom to serve God in this world. We've even been given the willing, that we've been given the, uh, the opportunity, the capacity to, to suffer in this world for the sake of this good news, for the sake of others. If you could fully buy into this hope about the future, then you could sort of let loose of your life here and now and you could serve and love with, without holding back. Did a little bit of reading this week on my, my time away from home and I, I came across um, a short biography for William Wilberforce. Uh, you may be familiar with him. You may be more of a historian than I. I'm not an expert on his life by any means, but read a short biography this week. Wilberforce is a, a, an interesting figure. He's born into wealth in, in Britain. Uh, this leads to a career in, in politics, as one might expect. Uh, and he grows up around the Church of England, sort of a, a dry religious experience. Uh, and what I love about Wilberforce's story uh, is in his early years after college, he gets caught up in the Methodist evangelical movement in Britain. And he kind of has a change of spirit. And he starts to see the world through this Methodist way of living, this commitment to the work of God in our lives and serving our neighbor. And he becomes very convicted. He becomes a little nutty, right, about the way in which God's calling him to shape the world around him. And so he leads a few different efforts. Some fail, some are more or less successful. But the thing he eventually commits his life to 
is the abolitionist movement there in Britain. Now, Wilberforce's biography and his critics make clear that his, his life is not a perfect life. He had his own blind spots. He had his own shortcomings. But it was really his, his evangelical transition, as they describe it, to a life marked by hope, a life marked by the, the Holy Spirit within him, that led him to work toward the end of the slave trade in Britain. Now, you can do the math there, right? His timeline, his life was largely coinciding with the beginning of America, the slave trade in America, the end of the slave trade in America. In fact, the, the Abolitionist Slavery Act was, was passed in Britain just shortly before his own death, and he spent most of his life working toward that end. So part of what Paul is trying to tell Timothy is like once... Once you're fully committed to this hope of the resurrection, once the resurrection has, has shaped your thinking, your mind, and your heart, then it's easier to sort of give your life away in service to others. Workers approved by God, guided by this hope of what is to come. There is a lot to be said about Christianity. There's a lot going on in our church and in the world I probably follow those things more closely than you do. The challenges that different denominations and traditions are facing. Some people think we're kind of in the middle of a cultural Christian revolution, right? A reformation. Christianity is changing right now, and some of that is perhaps good, but some of that is, is also painful. And we have a lot of competing ideas and competing visions about what's important. What does it mean to be Christian in this new modern world? When we think about those challenges, it's good to be reminded that those challenges existed in the first century too. That Paul's writing to Timothy, he's concerned about the church in Ephesus, he's concerned about these other people who are downplaying the power and the importance of the resurrection. There's always been challenges within the church. Who gets to say what's most important? Today, Paul reminds us, and I want to remind you, of all the conversations going on about Christianity, about the church and its future, the hope of Christianity, the message of Christianity is really this. The belief in, the proclamation of, and the hope of the resurrection. Paul tells Timothy, and I want to tell you, to remember this above all else, despite all else, Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. It happened. It has changed the world as we know it. We're experiencing the resurrection power of God and Jesus even now today in this moment. And this is our hope for the future. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, we ask that you would forgive us for all the ways and the times in which we have become distracted and confused, for the moments when we have engaged in, as Paul says, profane chatter. God, once again, focus our hearts and minds, our souls, our lives on the truth of the resurrection. Jesus' resurrection, the power of the resurrection at work in this world, bringing healing and wholeness and forgiveness the hope of the resurrection and the life to come. God, may we be a church, may we be a people that are so overwhelmed by this good news that it pours forth from our lives. This is our hope and our prayer as we worship today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. 
Thank you for listening. You can find out more about First United Methodist Church by going to our website at www.fumcparagold.org. May God bless you this week.